Okay, we are live. Welcome everybody to Wall Street Reporter's next Super Stack a live stream for today, December 2nd, 2020. We have an exciting debut presentation today from Skylight Health Group. The stock symbol is CBIIF over the counter, SHG on the CSE. That is the new symbol on, this, uh, on the uh, CSE. And uh, we're going to meet the CEO, Prad Sekar. Uh, Prad, uh, welcome. Great to be here, Jack. Thanks for having me. So, Prad, we're gonna we're gonna start get. You know, I'm gonna pop off the screen in a second. You'll roll into your presentation, uh, and I'll, I'll pop back in for the audience Q and A. Uh, so, again, for anybody that's new to our program, you know, our goal with the Wall Street Reporter's next super stock live stream is to bring you stocks which have 10x to 100x upside potential. Uh, so, these are companies which have three things in common. One, they're go, they're going after multi-billion dollar market opportunities. Uh, they're now at key inflection points and there are they have near-term uh, multiple near-term catalysts in place which can you know unleash tremendous value. And if you've been following our program for you know the last you know year or so you, you already know that multiple winners uh, which have increased you know 1300, 1500, 2000 percent and too many triple digit winners to uh, to list here. So uh, today we're gonna find out if Skylight Health is gonna be our next super stock, our next 10 bagger plus. Uh, so watch the presentation, ask your questions, uh, and then decide for yourself if Skylight Health is gonna be that next super stock with 10X to 100X upside. Uh, with that said, uh, Prad, uh, take it away. All right. Well, thanks, Jack. And I'm certainly excited to be on here with you guys and, uh, you know, really give you a, a view into Skylight Health. And, you know, Jack, I, I heard you mention multi-billion dollar opportunities. You know, I want to take that one level up. This is a multi-trillion dollar opportunity. Um, we're talking about the U.S. healthcare market here. It's a destination for most companies around the world. Um, and I'm really excited to announce that we really are at that strong inflection point now. We're starting to recognize growth in a really meaningful way. Um, and with that, let me kick it off. So I'm uh, Prad Shaker. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Skylight Health. Um, let's get started. So we are a U.S.-focused healthcare services and technology company. Um, for the past 25 years, um, I've been spending uh, my time and my co-founder as well uh, in the field of clinical practice management. Basically, what that means is we spent the last 25 years owning, operating, and running large multidisciplinary health centers uh, in both Canada and the US. Um, our experience in, in, in running medical practices has really put our focus into the US market where we see a huge opportunity here to become a billion dollar revenue generating company. Uh, we focus our business on the insurable services market. Uh, we work with government payers, commercial payers, um, and our business model is really based on how can we get a million patients with unit economics of $1,000 a year plus per patient to really get that billion dollar revenue opportunity as a business. Um, so as I mentioned, we're US focused today. Um, we're disrupting the way healthcare is being delivered in the US. We operate through a physical network of over 30 clinics today in 14 states. Uh, we have over 120,000 patients rostered with us. 
We deliver care both in clinic. We also own a virtual tele, uh, electronic medical record platform that we built in-house. We use in our clinics to optimize and run our business, but we also use it as a way to innovate on care delivery. And so that means ways that we can improve patient care by patient portal, we own our own telemedicine platform that we use to deliver care, and we have over 20,000 consoles this year alone. Um, plus, it, it's used as a way for us to improve on additional services like remote patient monitoring systems, which I'm happy to talk about as we go through the presentation. So again, spread across 14 states, we have a strong infrastructure, over 150 employees. We recruit and employ over 50 healthcare providers that provide care to our network of 120,000 patients. Um, and we're founder-led. We've done this before. Um, we've been successful. This is a tried, tested, and true method. And now we're deploying this in what we believe to be a multi-trillion dollar market opportunity. So some key highlights about Skylight Health. Um, first off, this is really an inflection point for the business. We posted a record quarter for Q3, which came off a record quarter for Q2, where two consecutive quarters in a row, we've been able to establish a profitable base of operations, generate positive, um, uh, profitable adjusted EBITDA, um, something that we've been working very diligently to in 2019, committed to shareholders that we were gonna get there in 2020, and we're finally able to achieve that major milestone. Also, for the first time in our history, we are year to date profitable adjusted EBITDA as well, which means we are not burning any cash and that is a great place for us to be. Um, to build on that, we did a lot in the last uh, few months. We've strengthened our balance sheet significantly. We've gotten rid of all of our long-term debt. We've capitalized the company with over $10 million of cash. Uh, we have a long runway of organic growth opportunities, but also we've been very successful at consolidation and mergers and acquisition. The US healthcare industry is highly fragmented. Over 70% of providers today work out of single physician-owned operating clinics. And there is a massive opportunity for consolidation in this space, and especially at attractive multiples that we're able to both uh, validate as well as prove through the last few acquisitions that we've done. We're looking at deal flow somewhere between the range of three to seven times EBITDA, or in most cases, less than one times revenue. And it's a very robust way for us to immediately add patients to the roster, be able to expand on immediate revenue and EBITDA recognition, but also the ability for us to leverage the synergy between each of these acquisitions to bolster organic growth significantly more. So a little bit about our focus in the US market. Our business model is really simple. At the end of the day, it's total number of patients times number of insurable fee-for-services that we offer. So essentially our goal is twofold. One, we operate in a market where we can achieve really strong gross profit margins because of our experience in running these clinics in the past. We know how to optimize these clinics for success. Our gross profit margin reported in Q3 was a record high of 71%, one of the highest you'll see in the healthcare services sector. This allows tremendous room for economy of scale recognition and profitability on the bottom line. Right now, our clinics generate somewhere between 20 to 30% uh, EBITDA from operations. And this is something that we're gonna continue to improve with further scale, but also as we deploy more technology to deliver care, something that will also lend directly to the bottom line. Secondly, we also focus on reimbursable services. On average, right now, unit economics of our patients are about $150 a year because the patients are currently on a legacy business coming in one time per year. 
Based on our primary care model, our multidisciplinary approach, we aim to bring that per year visit up to three to five to seven to 10 times a year based on the number of services we offer. And every time the patient comes in, we get to bill for the reimbursable service to either Medicare, Medicaid, or any of the commercial payers, where the average reimbursement rate for a primary care visit might be somewhere in the range of $150 to $300. And so when you're looking at a 15 minute block of time, average revenue of $150 to $300 a year, it's easy to anticipate that one primary care patient alone will spend somewhere between $500 to $1,000 per year just on their family doctor. So if we look at the tremendous upside organically between the current base of 120,000 patients we have today at $150 a year, growing that to $1,000 a year, it's a significant improvement on the existing business model that we have today. Further, to enhance that even more, our approach with a multidisciplinary model is to be able to complement those services to patients by bringing in additional services to those patients. And by doing so, we're able to improve on not just the services under one roof for a patient, makes it more convenient for them, but also the ability for us to recognize the revenue from the billings of those services as well. Our business model, again, as I mentioned, is really simple. Every one of our clinics is focused on a primary care doctor at the core. And we have done this time and time again successfully. Why primary care at the core? Because the primary care doctor at the end of the day is the gatekeeper of all healthcare services. Think about it, whatever you need, you go see your family doctor, your family doctor will refer you or issue a prescription um, to a specialist or to another healthcare provider. So by owning the network of primary care patients, number one, we get to recognize the revenue, as I mentioned, 500 to $1,000 per year per patient on the primary care model. But secondly, we have control over the referral platform. Now in any multidisciplinary model, the smart thing to do is to understand where those patients are going. So let's say I have 10% of my patients going to a cardiologist while well, they're going down the street or to the hospital. I wanna bring that cardiologist on site into the Skylight Health Network. This way, the patients get to stay in one place, but we get to recognize the billing of that cardiology service in-house within Skylight. And because physicians in the US are paid on a flat fee model, we get to recognize the bulk of that revenue, not split on some revenue share model like it does in other countries and other markets. So by bringing in additional services complementary to each clinic and to each state and to each patient population, and we use the word population health management here, Essentially, what we're doing is we're capturing a larger share of wallet of the annual healthcare spend of that patient with majority of these revenues coming in through insurable services, so not a direct cost to the patient at all. The second thing that we do is we utilize technology to optimize care. And so we all know now in a world of COVID that seeing your doctor on telemedicine is probably easier than having to go in person. And that's true for a lot of cases. And telemedicine has been around for years. The benefit in telemedicine is that it gets to allow for 80% of those visits, 80% of the times you go see your physician can probably be done remotely. But the 20% of the services that you need to do in person generate the bulk of revenue for the organization. So why leave money on the table? Using our approach of an 80-20 model, we utilize telemedicine to keep the patients who don't need to come in the clinic at home. They're, they're happier, and it allows us to focus our clinical time for those 20% of services that really generate the high margin opportunities. And so this approach lets us capture 100% of the billable opportunities per patient. The patients get the best care possible and ultimately have the best healthcare outcomes. This is one of those few moments where you can actually say doing well by doing good. And this is something that we're really proud of in our business model.
it is important to touch a little bit on the secondary focus as well. So what looks, uh, what comes in the future in terms of our business model as we build? And this is something that we've always been focused on the back end. We always know that eventually at some point in time, as we're starting to see today, um, pharma companies, life sciences companies, they start to knock on the doors of clinics like us and say, we need information on how our products are working. Once it gets approved, we need to validate that it's actually doing what it's supposed to do. The challenge is, is most of this information is tied up in a doctor's office within systems that are not able to populate this information easily. One of the things we did when we built our technology five years ago is focus on not just intelligently putting data in, but also accurately and easily pulling data out so that we can eventually commercialize on the generation of insights of real-world data to pharmaceutical, life sciences, and biotechnology companies. Again, something for down the road, but we love to talk about it because we always think it's nice to say, look, there's always opportunities for innovation in this space, and we're at the forefront of those innovative opportunities. The second area is contract research. One of the most costliest and time-consuming areas of a clinical trial is recruiting a patient, finding them, and recruiting them. We have a base of over 120,000 patients, and we're active now in over 15 different proposals with a variety of different health groups in the U.S. Uh, who are working with Big Pharma today to be able to put together clinical trials for their products. And so, again, we think in the medium term, this is going to be an opportunity for us to leverage our existing infrastructure to be able to participate as a research site without any real costs associated with it, and where we can get remunerated as a company anywhere between $500 to $5,000 per patient recruited into a trial because we have the technology to be able to help find that patient faster, but also the ability for us to have a broad patient base across a variety of different conditions using a variety of different products. And that sort of breadth of services really gives us more opportunity in the future within these two categories. So let's bring it back to where we are today. So where does growth come from? Why are we so excited about what the next 12 to 24 months is gonna look like? 2019, we exited with about 13 million in revenue. In 2020, we're going to exit with roughly 20 million in revenue plus. This is a 50, almost a 50% growth on last year's revenue. In 2021, we can see that over 100% growth. And why are we so confident that growth is going to come at such an aggressive pace? Because for the last year, we focused on profitability. We have a strong base. Now it's time to put our infrastructure to work. And this is where growth is going to come from. Category number one will be from expansion of services from the existing patient base, organic growth. What that means is right now we have 120,000 patients who, as I mentioned, we're generating on average about $150 a year from. Our goal over the next 12 to 24 months is to increase that to $1,000 a year by simply layering on insurable services to an existing network of clinics, doctors, and patients, which does not require any significant capital expenditures or investments to do. It is the simplest, lowest hanging fruit opportunity we have. And it doesn't just stop at $1,000. If you look at some of our comparable peers, um, like Oak Street Health or Kaiser Permanente, they generate revenues on average per patient of $2,000, $5,000, and some of them have targets as high as $12,000 per patient per year. And the way to get there is to layer on more services to your patients that benefit the patient, but benefit the fee-for-service billable that you can uh, add on with each visit type that you see with the patient. And so this is going to be our focus in the near term to get to that $1,000 a year per patient, and then to start to build on that $1,000 a year with the addition of new services. 
The second area for growth is really a disruptive area that no one is really touching today, which is the underinsured or the uninsured market. And there's roughly about 40 million people today in the US who don't have access to healthcare because it's too expensive. And what are they doing? Well, they either have to wait until it gets really serious and suffer thousands of dollars of bills at the hospital, or they have to check Google. Well, we think that we should provide a better option for that. We've been able to develop a very disruptive program for $200 a year. It's an annual subscription program that is available via telemedicine only. So if I'm an underinsured or uninsured patient today, I can subscribe to Skylight Health for $200 a year. I can access a telehealth doctor through Skylight for any urgent care needs, and I don't pay any additional costs for that. Now, while the unit economic may not be as high as the target on the insurable services sector, remember, these are people who don't have health insurance, which means they are never going to be a patient on that category anyways. And there are over 40 million people with this unaddressed need. And we think this is a massive opportunity with one of the lowest price prices in the market to go in and seize a pretty large market share within a category that's really not being focused on. And secondly, because we're using our existing infrastructure for this of doctors and staff, this is a profitable venture for us, and we remain profitable at that $200 a year. So a second area for focus for us over the next 12 to 24 months, also an organic opportunity uh, that will help us really bolster revenue growth. The third area for growth is something that we've been successful at over the last four years, uh, growth by acquisition. Part of the reason for that is the fragmentation of the U.S. healthcare market. As I mentioned, over 70% of doctors operate individually in the U.S. There are trends like higher administrative needs. Uh, the, the, the billing systems are too complicated. And so a lot of physicians are forced to have to consolidate with local hospital networks, which isn't the best outcome for them or their patients. And we present an opportunity that allows them to exit into an organization that can bring them that level of scale, that level of support, but at the same time, maintain that independent approach to care with their patients, which is ultimately what is being lost when they access these large health networks. Um, so we're quite successful and we're, we're getting better and we're getting more opportunities now as our pipeline continues to grow. Uh, two months ago, we were sitting on roughly $10 million of deal flow. Today, we're sitting on over $50 million of deal flow. And we think that this is just going to, this is just starting to scratch the surface. As we unearth more deals, the number of opportunities presenting themselves to us at very attractive multiples of anywhere from three to seven times EBITDA um, gives us the opportunity to be able to really bolster growth in a very strong way. And we've already done this successfully over the last 60 days. We've made two acquisitions uh, in Texas, in Washington, that have expanded our reach to two new states. Uh, we have a letter of intent out for a Colorado-based clinic. Uh, the three groups together will add another $5 million in incremental revenue into our existing business. And as I mentioned, they're profitable from day one. And this is a million dollar in direct EBITDA contribution to our existing profitable business base. Um, so again, we think that this is a very strong methodology for growth. Um, the synergies realized by acquiring these clinics, of course, generates further economies of scale. But we're also looking at acquisition targets that are just not primary care based. They're also complementary services where we can take that service, that playbook, and apply it to every one of our other locations. So not only are we growing the location that we buy, but we're also taking that service and helping it organically build the revenues within our other existing facilities without having to replicate that model uh, from scratch or build that cost out from the beginning. And then that's that's really one of the biggest opportunities here in being able to leverage this multi-state, multidisciplinary model. 
Um, so just touching a little bit on our capital market slide, um, one thing to note here, and probably the most important thing to note is we still have very strong insider ownership uh, between the two founders, our insiders, our directors, and our really supportive institutional investors. Uh, we've maintained a, a good amount of control within the company, and we'll continue to support the growth of the business as we move forward. Um, we've been smart about how we uh, utilize our, our equity to be able to support growth, and we've already seen that in the tremendous improvement we've had from just a few months ago by leveraging access to capital to be able to create immediate shareholder value by the accretion of these acquisition deals that we're able to find and that we're able to execute and bring in to, to Skylight Health. Um, we still believe we're highly undervalued. Um, it may be argued that there's still some compression on the top end for companies that have had some success over the last six months, but not for us. In fact, we still stand to be uh, quite significant in terms of growth, just from a multiple perspective. We can see even compared to the median average of where these companies are trading at today, Skylight still has a long way to go. Um, the, the beauty of it now is we're starting to really build a stronger shareholder base. We're institutionalizing the shareholder base. We're attracting research into the company. And more importantly, we're executing a business that we believe is going to have a hundred plus percent growth over the next uh, coming years. And, and, and more importantly, where we believe can go to a billion dollar revenue business in a trillion dollar US healthcare industry. And so we feel very strong about our growth potential. Um, we have a strong management team with expertise across all areas of healthcare. As I mentioned, Cash and myself have spent over 25 years each exactly in this space doing this business. And so we are very familiar with the levers that need to be pulled in order to make this business model successful. And we are going to be continuing to execute on our business model as we continue to grow. Our board remains strong from share uh, from uh, healthcare to pharmaceutical to data commercialization to capital markets, and again, uh, have been very supportive of our direction and will continue to steer the ship as we move forward. Um, so, Jack, I'll turn it back to you, and would love to take some questions and and, and potentially answer um, uh, any comments. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, we got a bunch of uh, questions coming in. We're gonna go to those in just a second um Pratt, i want to i want to ask you a few questions myself because yeah. you know yeah. one of the things which I, you know i i find fascinating is you have this the the um can you talk about the the big data uh component the analytics uh which which you can monitor you know which you can monetize you know patient recruit, recruitment all that stuff because that by itself is a massive business opportunity which is kind of like you essentially the investor is getting that for free when they're buying a skylight. I mean, and that by itself could be, you know, a billion dollar business. I mean, there are companies who are doing that. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And see, that's, the reality is none of that is valued into Skylight, nor are we asking for it to be. And the, and the business of Skylight Health itself, which is U.S. clinical operations and healthcare services itself is such a robust growth model. Um, but you're right. So if you consider sort of the optionality on the side for shareholders today, um, two years ago, uh, there was a uh, one of the first sales that took place in the real world data space. Flatiron Health, which was a network of cancer community centers, got acquired by Roche Pharmaceuticals for $2 billion. They had about 2 million patients active on their network, and Roche bought them for the value of data that was accumulated within um, their oncology centers and their and their cancer community centers. That's one example. Um, we're already seeing now articles. A thousand, a thousand bucks per patient. Thousand bucks per patient, just on the value of data. Forget anything else. It's just, they said, forget your business. All we need is just information. Um, 
And this is starting to happen more and more, not specifically in terms of M&A acquisitions, but in terms of valuation of access to patient information. Because it's so important now for, for drug companies and life science companies to be able to validate that their products work. The process of drug approval is changing. The ability to minimize the cost of long clinical trials can be shortened just by accessing what's working in the real world. And what better place to get that information than from doctor's offices who are prescribing these products day in and day out. And so this is where we think that there's tremendous upside potential. And we've already done some pilot projects where we started to validate the optionality of our technology and the data to be able to support some of this. Um, and we recognize that in the future, this is going to be a material value of the business, whether it's in a direct commercial value or in the valuation built in there of itself. Um, so that's one aspect. And then the clinical trials, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at the reimbursement rates for patients to be recruited into clinical trials between $500 to $5,000 or more per patient, um, and we have the ability to uh, present patients for you know a, a variety of different clinical trials because we're not just dealing with one area of healthcare. We're in primary care, we're in subspecialties, you know, we're in endocrinology, we're in diabetic care, we're in hypertension, we're in mental health. List goes on. So this just creates a ton of opportunity for us down the road. We have a small CRO in house um, and a contract research organization which basically looks at these trials, identifies what fits, writes proposals and essentially tries to build a pipeline of deal flow where we can start to realize this value and, and demonstrate that value back to our shareholders. Uh, so I think we should emphasize that this data, you know, as you, as your, as your, 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 you know, your population of, of, of um, patients grows, you know, the data becomes more and more valuable because you're able to get, more, you know, I guess more pieces of data, everything else. And, and this is, this is high margin business. This is like, you know, you're selling data. I mean, this is, and also I think what you should address, I mean, there's no privacy issues, right? Because like that stuff is taken out of the. Yeah, so so number one, look, all the technology we own and operate uh, follows all the strict regulations of any HIPAA compliance guidelines. And in fact, not just HIPAA, we also follow guidelines for other international countries where our products are also being used. Um, from a perspective of data, no, we will not sell data. That's not something that we're going to do, but we will commercialize on the insights, which means the ability to create insights from the trends of the data that's there. So never personal health information, never personal information ever being accessed. Um, we do have a very strong, secure platform, a network and a security infrastructure team. Um, so we are very cognizant of where we play, which is healthcare, um, the rules that govern healthcare data, but yet the opportunities that present themselves within the confines of those rules um, in a commercial manner. Okay, the, um, yeah, it's interesting. So it's based, so again, the, the margins are, are massive in the data space. I mean, it's much bigger. I mean, so that business, it's almost like if somebody, if somebody's buying Skylight Health and investors buying the stock, it's almost like, you know, somebody buying a, a cattle ranch in Texas, you know, for the cattle ranching opportunity. And underneath that ranch, there's like, you know, 2 billion barrels of oil. You know, that's that's kind of the data. Yeah, so it's, it's funny you say that. It's kind of the way we feel now when we look at some of the acquisition targets that we're acquiring today. And, and I know we're moving off the data front here, but just even clinically, I mean, 20 to 30 to potentially 35 to 40 percent EBITDA margins on, you know, a billion dollar revenue opportunity. That is a very strong cash flow company that is able to deploy cash back for growth. And even if you look at some of our biggest competitors in the market today, like One Medical and Oak Street, I mean, Oak Street does 800 million in revenue a year. They're just getting started, but they're not profitable at that number. And one of the reasons that we believe we are is 
we know how to run successful medical practices. And if we can build that kind of revenue model on the back of profitability, every clinic we buy, every clinic we go in and acquire, it, it's not just apples to apples. It's really, we've had a career in practice management because sometimes physicians don't make the best business people. And there's a lot of money left on the table and the opportunities they could have seized in their own practice. And when we come in, we can identify those and we bring those opportunities to their clinic, to their patients, the patients benefit. At the end of the day, patients benefit, but so do we. And so, you know, it's unearthing um, opportunity that has not been um, realized within existing assets that we're buying at such attractive multiples. And then to your point, yes, what unearthed value is there under our platform in the long run as well? And that's why we just think that there's there's more layers to the growth model for Skylight Health. Um, and as we continue to execute and grow, the core business itself is going to realize that value. And so will the other layers as they come to market. Okay. So my last question, then we're going to jump into the audience questions because that's what this is all about here is, um, okay. So, you know, uh, uh, Kind of the bottom line is you know our audience you know they're looking for those stocks which have that you know 10x plus upside potential so what needs to happen if you can just kind of you know lay out the roadmap you know what's the roadmap to getting the stock to seven dollars can the stock get to seven dollars what needs to happen how long do you think it will take sure i mean the last uh, question might be a little bit too <laughs> you know, Right. Um, yeah, certainly. I mean, do I think that there's a cap on the stock price? Absolutely not, because I just don't think that there's a cap on our opportunity to succeed where we go to. I mean, look, let's let's look at the core basics we have today. Last year, we had a $14 million run rate exit 2019. Um, and that was based on a historic legacy business of $150 a year per patient. If we were to do nothing else but just bring that in line with insurable services in 2021, that annualized opportunity is $150 million in revenue. And we do nothing else. We don't buy any other groups. We don't acquire another patient. Uh, we don't do anything new. Just that alone gets us to 150 million in revenue. But that's not what we're gonna do. We're gonna focus on other aspects as well. We're gonna focus on new patient growth. We're gonna focus on new market expansion. We're gonna focus on acquisition of clinics. And so, you know, do I think that 200 million is our target? Sure, I think a billion is our target. That's, and you know, I want a million patients paying us on average or generating on average through reimbursable services, $1,000 a year at minimum. And that's a billion dollar revenue opportunity right there. And when you're playing in a market where healthcare is a multi-trillion dollar industry that is only gonna continue to increase with time and the opportunity for disruption and consolidation is only just beginning, um, I think we're at the precipice of growth. And I think, you know, I wouldn't put a cap on where our stock goes. Do I think $7? Sure. Do I think 10? Yeah. I mean, this for us is going to become, let's get to be a billion dollar revenue company with 30 to 40% EBITDA margins. And then let's go see what that's worth. Okay. Because, you know, Pride, you know, our, our, we're saying we're looking for stocks which have 10x to 100x upside. So right. you're still within that 100x. You can still get there. But okay. But if you do, so essentially the bottom line, I guess the takeaway for, you know, anybody watching is if you just, you just focus on the internal, the internal opportunities right now without any, you know, just, just, you know, optimizing the, the, the current situation without any acquisitions, you could be, you know, really, uh, could be a billion dollar market cap, you know, based on, you know, you can go to 10X just based on that, based on, you know, sort of. You know. If you stay with a conservative five to six X multiple that we have today on our business, sure. But again, that's an opportunity for growth as well as we start to recognize that growth in our own market cap. 
Um, and again, I take it back to it's not just one or the other. Like I said, we're sitting on you know, a $20 million exit run rate this year, which represents over 50% growth from last year. Um, we're sitting on opportunity pipeline for acquisitions that are today worth 50 million after making the acquisition announcements we've already made. That's five zero. Um, and again, we're only two months into uncovering deal flow within the U.S. since we started this program more aggressively a few months ago. And so, I don't necessarily feel our challenge is going to be. I like to put it this way: um, we're playing in an all-you-can-eat buffet. We can't eat everything but we can eat a lot. And so let's let's go and execute and let's perform and let's bring that value to our patients and to our shareholders. Okay, uh, let's get to the audience questions. Nick uh, is asking, uh, any, what's the, uh, any uplisting plans, I guess? Yeah, so, um, well, in Canada, um, we are in the process right now in the application phase uh, with the TSX Venture. Um, so that is something that is ongoing at the current moment. Um, for the U.S., we just graduated actually today. Our, our news release came out. So the company's now graduated from the OTCQB to the OTCQX, which represents now the highest tier on the OTC, um, which is obviously a, a great sign for the company because it gives uh, shareholders you know, far more visibility to the story and the business. Um, and then from there, we'll see. Uh, you know, I think we're always opportunistic um, and you know, we're building our exposure with institutions and banks in the U.S. And I think as we continue to execute, uh, we'll see. Okay, uh, Ramoj is asking, we have free healthcare in Canada. How can Skylight leverage its profit against the likes of Well, CloudMD, et cetera? Um, I'm gonna ask you to maybe repeat that question again for me, Jack. Okay, Sorry. can you see it on your screen? You yeah, I can your... see it now, okay. yeah. Um, and that's the beauty of it. I mean, look, we're we're Canadian too. We understand that healthcare here is a, is a universal healthcare right. and. It sucks that it's not the case in the U.S. And when we developed this $200 a year program, um, the whole idea uh, was just based on creating equality and access for patients who today come to us and say, you know, we need services, but we just can't afford it. Um, and, you know, we have such critical mass within the U.S. today that we can and we have been able to, within a legacy business, prove that you can be profitable at $150 a year. Slap on a few services, increase that to $200 bucks a year you're even more profitable now, but you're doing something good. You're approaching a market today that's in need for services and you're creating access for them. And, you know, we're doing it in a way where it's not socialism. Nobody else is paying for it. We're paying for it. Um, and uh, we'll continue to keep building on the services offered under that model. Okay. Uh, Alex is asking, uh, when do you see, f when do you foresee increased revenue from providing insurable service start showing up? Any projections on what that timeline looks like? Yeah. So what I can say is we're starting to now um, get to the next phase of execution, which is rolling out our opening of clinics again that were closed because of the, uh, the pandemic back in March. These clinics are all opening up with the direct focus of insurable services to patients. So I would say starting uh, 2021 in Q1, uh, we'll probably start to see news flow supporting the opening of the clinics. And as we move through 2021, uh, we have it within our growth plans organically to start recognizing that insurable services revenue on the back of our existing patient base, uh, plus the growth in insurable service revenue by layering on new services to the existing assets that we've acquired uh, so far. Okay. Uh, Fun Patrol, what EMR is being used? 
so we have our own. So we built our own technology platform. Uh, we don't uh, we don't use a third party. We use some aspects of integrations with third party systems, uh, so that we're able to you know integrate with uh, diagnostic centers, lab centers, prescription billing, etc. Uh, but we have our own proprietary technology platform in house. Okay, uh, Mark is asking, uh, will you be able to execute your growth strategy without dilution? Um, so again, like I said, organic growth in it by itself doesn't require any further capital to deploy. Um, it's generated and supported by cash flow. And so growth organically, absolutely. Growth through acquisition. But we'll be smart about it and diligent about how we utilize capital for growth, whether equity or debt or other common structures. But you know, what's really important to mention is, number one, we have enough money on the balance sheet uh, to execute against the near-term transactions that we had that are going to add incremental significant value in addition to the run rate that I've already talked about for 2020. And secondly, when we look at the value received from each acquisition, you know, we'll be opportunistic as always, but at this point, you know, really we're, we're looking at just executing with our strong cash on hand, profitable base of operations. And like I said, organically, this could be a 10x return on revenue without doing anything new. Uh, here's an interesting question. A lot of people are, you know, because you know the whole all the the telehealth stocks got hit, or people are not sure. Like, what's the vac? Gonna? I guess the question is, uh, I I think Andrew or Info Drew, he's asking. I guess now that there's a vaccine, are people will will people stop going to doctors altogether and will be in a permanent state of 100% health? Uh, so. I will say this from two perspectives. One, I've been in the healthcare sector for over 25 years. So let me say one, telemedicine is not new. Telemedicine has been around for a very long time. Problem is you didn't get paid enough to use telemedicine and not enough services were on telemedicine. So guess what? Billing dictates workflow. No one's gonna use it if you can't generate any revenue from it. All of a sudden in COVID rules changed. Everybody got paid dollar for dollar the same in clinic and telemedicine. So guess what people did? They switched over to telemedicine because it's easier and sometimes cheaper to deploy care remotely by telemedicine. Reality is you can't do everything on telemedicine. So if you're only telemedicine, I see a little bit of a challenge in that model. If you have a hybrid model of in-clinic and telemedicine and you're using it the right way, um, do I think telemedicine is going to go away? No, because it was always there to begin with. And I think it'll always come back to adoption. And maybe what COVID did was it took people from you know, a, a few percentage points to maybe 10% to 15% adoption. And, and, and that increase is significant. And that is going to, I think, ultimately dictate where telemedicine goes. But the reality is companies like Doc and Well, I won't pretend to know what their business or their model is, but I can't presume their business is telemedicine. It's a platform upon which they're building other things. Just like for us, telemedicine is a platform upon which we deliver care to our patients, improve revenues, lower costs, and ultimately create more opportunities for scale. Um, and I'll say one thing, having the clinics on the ground, the reason for reopening as quickly as we want to is to also be in a good position to be able to maximize an opportunity. Once that COVID vaccine comes out, we want to be able to be one of those centers that's able to administer those vaccines, not just to our patients, but to patients in the community. And right now, it seems like Medicare, Medicaid will reimburse somewhere between 40 to $50 per dose of vaccine. And so again, it creates additional opportunities. And you can see this now that the more opportunities you have to service a patient's healthcare needs, the more you start to multiply that opportunity for revenue growth. Uh, Pride, that plays into this next question, actually. What percentage of current first-time customers become repeat customers and or leg legacy customers? Uh, so, 
<laughs> yeah, so we have about an 80% retention rate. And I think that gets better now because we're offering the patients more than they used to receive before. Um, so I think we have a pretty strong retention rate for the industry. Um, and we're only looking at further enhancing that with the addition of new services. Okay, Jeff is asking, what's the percentage of shares held by insiders? Uh, yeah, so it's roughly about uh, 35% now. Okay. Uh, any EAP vision? Uh, sorry, I'm going to ask the abbreviation for EAP. I don't know what it, yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't know what it means. Uh, so Fun Patrol, if you uh, repeat that question. Uh, okay, um, let's see what's the next one here. The pivot, the pivot that you were talking about. I guess he's asking one pivot. I see. That's another question. Uh, Many questions. Yeah. You know, I, I always tell people this. This started last year. This is not COVID. Um, it just happened that everything fell into place in and around time for COVID. Um, uh, last year, you know, we actually started two years ago when we started looking at our patients who basically started going to our doctors and asking for a number of different services that we were not equipped to handle or equipped to bill for. And it led to last year, uh, a survey of our patients to identify what services that they want to see from us. And primary care came to the top of the list. And that led to both Cash and myself looking at ourselves as co-founders going, well, we've done this for 25 years. Let's go do it again. We have a strong infrastructure. So last year was when we really started to put the pieces in place. Um, legally, structurally, regulatory, to be able to get to a point today where now we can start to look at opening up our centers and starting to focus on M&A transaction space within the, the more broader vertical of traditional healthcare. Uh, what states are you located in? Uh, so there's over 14 states. Um, uh, I have a, we actually have a list right here on the presentation, so I'm happy to go back up to that. There you go. If you can see the screen, uh, there's a list right uh, there. You, you have to click the share button. Oh, oh I'm sorry. sorry. No, no, it's there. It's there. It's there. Wait, wait, I get it. Yeah, I okay. get it. Not, uh, not, not that I can rhyme them off myself, but you know, I just I prefer that you see it rather than me. Okay. Current okay. footprint. There we go. Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. And, and remember, we're still adding. So every with every acquisition opportunity, we're looking for opportunities and new footprints in the U.S., new markets. Uh, so that we can continue to expand quickly, especially now, because uh, with regulations as as uh, sort of as as the way they are today, it actually makes more sense today to expand rather than to uh, build broadly within one market. And so, 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 you're, so you're you're in the big states. So you, it's okay, Pennsylvania, New uh, New Jersey, New York, Texas, yeah. Massachusetts, Colorado, Illinois. Um, you know, it's uh, all, all, the, all the big areas here. Okay. Uh, let's yeah. see. Uh, interesting question. How do you compete large hospital buying out private practices? Yeah, so that's a great question. Look, people always ask me, who's my competition in these acquisitions? And I always say it's one of two, actually one of three. It's either another independent practitioner that's trying to grow within their local region. Uh, two, it's private equity trying to consolidate specialty clinics together. Uh, or three, it's hospital groups. And um, in some cases, we don't win. In some cases, we do win. And we've done that now successfully with these two acquisitions that we were looking at, who are also looking at hospital group acquisitions. Um, one, they don't typically meet the same kind of multiples that we can offer for these deal flows. Number two, hospitals don't often offer the same kind of longevity in patient care. And so when a clinician looks at uh, moving their practice into a hospital, it often means sometimes 
sea of sameness, right? So you're part of a large organization. Patient doesn't necessarily have that same approach to uh, customer care, patient care that they used to before. And for most physicians that are passionate about their practice and their patients, um, this is important to them. And, and we bring them that. And so that's, that's really one of the biggest differentiators we can offer to these targets. Employee assistance. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I apologize if, if, if I should have known that. But um, so there's two aspects to that. One is, um, you know, the notion of being able to offer services at a fixed price to employees, because as we know, in the US, healthcare insurance is largely employer led. Most people have healthcare insurance plans because of their employers. But when you look at the small to medium sized market, here's an interesting statistic. Uh, I think over 60% of workers in the US are blue collar workers. Over 80% of the uninsured are blue collar workers. So you can, you can see that statistic between how many people should have access and how many people don't. And so I think when you look at healthcare access for employee assistance, it's twofold. One, it's going to companies and offering them a fixed fee amount more direct primary care to help them curb their uh, premiums, or two, the ability to go to small to medium-sized companies that either can't afford to bring health insurance plans to their employees, or even if they do, the co-pay is like three to $4,000 a year and the employee can't afford it. So how do you offer that subscription program to that employer to offer to their employee? And so these are two really important areas for growth for us. It's still early for us to comment on specifically, but we are very much focusing on how this market will evolve. And uh, we've already had conversations now with multiple union groups, um, organizations, sort of large long-term care facilities. And so these are going to be co continuous conversations that, again, will only bolster sort of that second vertical of growth within our market, which is the uninsured and underinsured market. Uh, okay, we got a question of the day here. How long will it take to get to your goal of a billion dollars in revenues? Uh, well, it depends who you're asking. If you're asking me or you're asking, uh, you know, how the market will respond as we continue to grow. Um, look, I, I won't comment on time because who can predict that? But what I will comment on is um, we're, not, we're not taking our own time with this. We're gonna go quickly and uh, as quickly as possible and as quickly as sustainable as possible. There's a sprint element to this and there's a marathon element to this. And in the long term, this needs to be sustainable. In the short term, you need to be able to drive quick growth in order to get there. And look, we're playing in one of the biggest markets in the world, the US healthcare industry. And so, you know, I don't think there's shortage of opportunity. Um, we're certainly not, uh, we're certainly not slow to respond. Uh, so we get a comment here. Skylight doesn't compete. So, I mean, I guess, I guess you know, a lot of investors, they, they're names. I mean, do you, you don't compete with cloud or, or well, or any of these guys, essentially, it's a different, you're in a different market. Well, first of all, we're in the US market. Um, secondly, we're all in healthcare, so there's a notion of some overlap, but to be honest, I don't believe our long-term vision and business models are the same. Um, I think we're uniquely different, and I think that'll start to only show as more people start to understand those various verticals in healthcare, but to that point, we are all competing, I guess, for investor dollars. Um, but I think investors also recognize that there are such verticals that are different. Again, like I said, we present Canadian investors a unique opportunity to participate in the US healthcare space today. And that is something that's uniquely different between other companies in our sector. Um, and secondly, we have such a large gap to still close from a valuation perspective that you know, we're not at the end trying to determine whether or not we have to sustain there. We still are undervalued with our existing business model. And so that itself creates you know, significant opportunity for shareholders to realize that value as we, as we execute.
Okay, uh, Curtis is asking, what is your physician associate average turnover? What strategies are you using to attract and retain providers long-term? Um, physicians in the US are typically employed on either contract or employment. Um, so typically it comes down to what works best in each market. So we're competitive. I mean, we offer benefits, we offer vacation, we offer salary, we offer competitive wages. Um, so these are all ways that we continue to remain competitive with our existing provider network. Um, in terms of turnover, we don't tend to have a high turnover unless for some reason, you know, it's just not working out, which happens time to time. Um, but this isn't something new to us. We've been doing this for such a long period of time that uh, we've been you know, relatively good now at, at retention and, and, uh, and growth within our own market. Uh, okay, we've got a question. I, what uh, Miles is asking, do you see any challenges or benefits from the change over to the residency with respect to healthcare funding? Yeah. So look, I know this scares a lot of people. And again, I'll say this, we, so I'm gonna step in a bit because I think there's a bit of a light there. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and I know this scares a lot of people, but I'm not afraid of a single payer system that's where it goes to. And, and I'm not saying it's going to, I'm just saying that when you look at healthcare funding and how it's being deployed today, yes, commercial payers pay significantly more than government payers do. Um, government payers, when I quote 150 to 300 is based on government pay. In Canada, we earn $35 per visit. So, you know, will I take 150 to 300? Absolutely. Will we take more? Sure. Um, but our business model is really kind of based on being able to achieve success at that government rate model with commercial payers. It just creates more opportunities to create further margins with the existing service we're already deploying. Um, so whichever way we go here with regards to the new administration, um, we're in a good place to be able to maximize on our opportunities. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh... Anthony asks, uh, any plans to incorporate dental into a systemic healthcare model? I've not seen anybody do dental. Yeah, um, you know, there's there's certainly, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of these multidisciplinary practices being so versatile in their offering. Um, is there a potential? Maybe. Um, you know, the way I look at it today is this, you've got a primary care patient. This primary care patient suffers from one of the many chronic care conditions that uh, is plaguing the American population today. And you look at what are those services that are gonna service that one patient so that if I were to tell that patient, you don't have to go anywhere else except just Skylight Health and you get everything you need here, what are those services that can get you here to stay here? And that's what we're focused on. So that's our, that's our really our, our, our deciding factor on any service we organically introduce, any acquisition target we try and look for, we ask that question, and if it can't pass that sniff test, then we don't move forward with it. So will dental fit? If it fits the patient population, then it fits. If it doesn't, then not for now. Okay. Um, what is your goal for number of to be added uh, over the next year? Um, so I can tell you right now within the pipeline, we've probably got another five to six new states right now identified. Um, you know, not necessarily saying that we're going to close on all the states, but uh, we are aggressive and we're already sitting at 14 today. Um, you know, I think, you know, we get to 20 pretty easily over the course of the next 12 months. Um, beyond that, it'll just depend on sort of organic and acquisition-based opportunities. But I, I guess, but I mean, you're, I mean, right now you're in most of the, the high population states. I mean, there's only, I mean, right. you don't need to be in 50 states. You could be in, you know, I think it's like 28 that have, maybe it's, yeah, it's like 28. You don't need to be in you know, North Dakota and Wyoming, necessarily. No, and look, I, I tell most people that sometimes broadening also increases overhead and creates unnecessary costs. And, you know, you want to have a certain amount of critical mass, but 
it's not about the number of states or the number of clinics you own that determine your size. It's about the number of patients you service and the number of services offered to those patients that determine your size. So I think that's that's a better way for us to look at growth, um, number of patients times number of services. And certainly uh, market expansion will only add to that value if we follow that thesis. Okay, uh, great question. Insiders, what is the exit strategy? Pratt, how are you, what's the exit strategy? How are you guys gonna, gonna make money with this? Sure. Um, I appreciate someone asking how we're going to make money. Um, oftentimes we're focused on how we're going to make you guys money, but um, I'm having a ton of fun. And so is cash. Look, this is everything we've been building ourselves towards to do. And we've got an opportunity here to really create something of value uh, in a U.S. marketplace. So I'm not thinking about it yet. Right now, I'm just focused on getting to that billion dollar revenue stream. Okay. Yeah. And the, the rest takes care of itself, basically. The rest takes care of itself. Pretty much. Uh, so let me let me ask you um, a question, Pratt. What What's in terms of news flow coming out over the next? Uh, you know, let's call. You know, we're already at the end of the year, so let's say into yep. January, towards the end of January. What can investors expect uh, end of December into January? What's what what kind of milestones uh, should they be looking for? Um, so there's a few different categories of news flow, um, and we'll be busy in December. Um, but um, like I said, we're in a constant due diligence phase, we're in constant acquisition mode. And so that's going to be an area where we'll always tell investors, don't think we don't have anything in the pipeline. We've always got something we're working on. Um, and then organic growth, um, whether it's expansion of our own clinics, uh, whether it's adding services to our existing clinics, whether it's partnerships with larger organizations that give us access or give us services to deploy. Again, everything we bring in house has to add value to the patient and has to incrementally grow the opportunity for fee-for-service billings. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're gonna have, we're gonna be busy. Let's, I'll okay. leave it at that. So you, mentioned, you mentioned about 50 million of potential revenues of potential acquisitions in the pipeline. So that could happen at any moment, some of them. It won't ever. Yeah, I mean, look, they're all at different stages of maturity. They're all at different stages of diligence. They're all at, and and don't get me wrong, 50, again, I, I told everyone this two months ago. I said, just because I say 10 million, don't think that that's 10 million. Ask me a month from today, and I'll probably tell you it's more. And it's that we're constantly cycling in deals. We're building relationships with brokers. Um, we're unearthing opportunities. People are getting to hear about what we're doing. They're contacting us. Um, so, you know, I just, the way I look at this is this, is, I'll use the same buffet example before. We see a ton of opportunity here. It's only growing. Um, and we're just going to keep executing the best way we can sustainably, but aggressively. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of room for everybody in this, you know, trillion oh, dollars. Tons. Like, you tons. Know, yeah. And the, the, I get asked that all the time, right? I mean, are more people going to do what you do? Does that make deals more expensive? I say, I have yet to see that happen in the last 25 years of being in healthcare. If 10 more people come in today and start to do exactly what we do, I'd be lucky if I even see, see them at the deal table when we're negotiating these deals, just because there's so many of them out there. That's an interesting point, actually. Yes. Yeah, so, so because, look, there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of private equity guys are, are going to the healthcare space, but there's still plenty of opportunity for everybody. This is just, you know, that's, that's, that's a very interesting and, point. And the reality is some of these deals we're looking at in the pipeline are private equity groups. We're the exit for the private equity groups. And so sometimes we're just there at the end, at the finish line saying, okay, well, you go ahead and roll up these five people and then we'll come in and buy you. And so 
that's an opportunity as well for us in terms of growth is as we build. When you're when you're buying when you're buying them when you from private equity, you can still add further value. It's not like you're buying. 100% because the value is not just in every clinic we're buying. It's in the value that clinic yeah. brings to our entire network of patients and clinics. So, uh, okay. And, and so basically, but even, even without, I think, I think what the big takeaway from today is that even without making acquisitions, which is, again, this is the yeah, stuff is, you know, it's a positive, the data stuff we talk about is positive, but if you just execute on your existing strategy, you can, you know, do that 10 X uh, revenue growth based on what you have right now. We did nothing but just focused on 120,000 patients we have today. That's correct. Uh, okay, I think this this is the, this kind of sums it up, plug and play and scale. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, not a, it's not a bad way to look at it. You're, you're finding working business models that are really successful, putting them in. At the end of the day, any acquisition company, any roll-up company that, I don't like to use the word roll-up, but any company that's focused on strategic M&A is essentially going to buy a bunch of assets and try and find a way to stitch them together. And what does that stitching together look like? Because ultimately the value is those pieces all coming together. And what the world we play in is in a very specific sector. It's healthcare service delivery and using technology. And so when we're buying these different clinics with these different focuses, how do they stitch together? It's because one patient has a need of which and specialists are servicing, we're buying each of those specialists and bringing it together and our patient gets to benefit. And so it's a pretty easy formula to be able to, you know, to scale and repeat. Okay. Uh, Pred, so I think, uh, I think we're, we're pretty much out of time. So I'm going to ask you a last question here, which is, you know, the favorite at the Wall Street Reporter is, you know, in your opinion, Top three reasons why investors should consider Skylight Health today. Why should they buy the stock? All right. Um, sure. Um, so first, we're, we're, we're ready to sprint, and we are sprinting. Um, we've got a clean balance sheet, no debt, cash on hand, profitable business operations, and we are in a market segment that presents a trillion-dollar opportunity and growing, um, and we are uh, one of the few to be doing what we're doing. Number two, we have a strong management team. I'm not bloating. I'm not gloating on myself or on cash, but really the rest of our team, so well experienced in running this business model. With every acquisition, we strengthen that team further and further. And so, not only is this just a buy and we'll figure it out model, this is a buy and put it together model. Um, and then number three, um, we're strengthening our exposure significantly over the last uh, four months. We've continued to strengthen our, uh, our, our, our institutional base, our, uh, our, our long-term shareholders, created further exposure through analyst coverage and more soon to come, um, and the ability to keep going here and, and utilizing the strength of the capital markets to be able to support this growth model. And, and um, I think those are really kind of three reasons why someone should really be excited about Skylight Health today. So uh, on that note, uh, Pratt, I want to thank you uh, for joining us, for, uh, uh, you know, for, for getting uh, the story out to investors today. Uh, this is the introductory, introductory live stream. Uh, we're going to have you back, hopefully, uh, you know, within the next uh, week or 10 days. Maybe there'll be some news, sure. some new developments. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll have, uh, I think, a lot more questions uh, by then. And as uh, look at this fun picture. As, <laughs> As from the top of the top first of the thing, this is yeah, a base. That's how we feel. Top that's of the first how we. Thing. So, uh, 
Excellent. Okay. Thank you, Fun Patrol. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on today's live stream. And we'll see you on the next one. Thank you again. Thanks, Jack. Thanks.